This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. This is a uh, first one of the new year, Tom, 2023. Yes. Still going. <laughs> Still going strong. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought, right? It was just like, oh, let's do a podcast, you know, three years later. <laughs> yeah, Still going there. We're still coming up with ideas. Still coming up, you know, with the content, I guess. And I guess people are still somewhat listening. So here we go. So today's topic, Tom, what do we got today? Well, today we're going to be looking at, through the uh, United States, nearly 250-year history, that um, the presidents who uh, proudly served in the armed forces, showing that they're not only willing to lead the country, but possibly even lay, lay their lives in line for it, and how it's also changed through the years, I guess you can say, like, it was like a political, like, asset to be in the military, and a lot of political uh, pundits say it's actually like a liability now, um, yep. if they served in the military, actually might be hurting them because we haven't um and we'll, we'll talk about that i saw we'll talk about it i was surprised to see that too but that a lot of it's basically what they say out there and the facts kind of back it up and that's the interesting thing when i started doing this research about like fighting presidents because i mean the basic broad aspect was let's see which presidents actually served in the military and and we got some conflicting numbers but i think we settled you and i on 31 right technically 31 served but 29 are, are like the active or something act, active service. yeah yes and even out of those 29 active service, not all of them actually did see combat, you know, see combat. Yeah. And that's the interesting part, too, because like I think you think of like, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower and you're like, oh, yeah, this guy totally. But a lot of Dwight D. Eisenhower stuff before he became um, the president was really behind a desk and really masterminding, you know, D-Day and so on and so yeah. forth. But there are some presidents that were literally like in the trenches. They were literally fighting. They they were able to somehow influence outcomes of battles and wars. And, and there's those stories are actually interesting. One is kind of funny, and I'm sure we'll get to it. But um, I know if when you were looking through this, I found Franklin Pierce in the Mexican-American War is it's kind of funny actually like I, I don't want to make it sound like it's funny because it's war but like once we get to that story you guys will know that like his his fighting was a little funny anyway so uh let's let's talk about some of these guys again we might talk about some more than others because some simply did more than others but we'll try to mention the whole 31 29 that actually were in service on some at, so, at some level yeah i mean we don't want to just read off lists here but like yeah. it's Important to talk about some some more well known stories. Some we might have touched off before, but I guess we might as well start with the first one. Also, yep. the first one of our podcast way back and when, right? Yep, so yep. Uh, I guess starting off with our list would be um, George Washington, right? Yeah, who served from 1789 to 1797. That's when he was president, obviously, but he was um, part of the military. Yep, he was a commander of all the troops in Virginia at a young age of 23. He was a major general and the Continental Army's commander during the Revolutionary War. Obviously, he became president, you know, after the war ended. He still holds the, the highest rank ever. We talked about that in his yep. military service. He said he sets the precedent for so many things. He sets the precedent for this too. And what you see a lot in this is that it's the popularity that the wars bring, that the military service brings, and that kind of propels them to the presidency, at least in the early part of the um of american history that a lot of the generals and so forth and war heroes so because their names are well known because of what they did in war and then that kind of like tapers off as time goes on yeah and it, it, like you mentioned earlier in the intro it, this is definitely a stepping stone during this time which the idea that if you were in the military you proved yourself you proved your leadership qual qualities therefore you are capable of leading a nation. capable of leading, yeah 
and George Washington was a I mean, his he was more of a military man than he was a politician in any way, shape or form. As you mentioned, this guy, age of 23, he's already fighting for the British crown, you know, the continental or colonial uh, militias before he ever becomes the major general of, of the continental American army. And even then, he was really the only choice to lead the American forces. Like They were like, this guy's the only experienced one. And even after he became president, listeners remember this, but during a Whiskey Rebellion where um, Americans basically decided that they were not going to want to, at least certain Americans in Pennsylvania, uh, were not going to pay a tax on whiskey, which is one of the first instituted taxes um, under the U.S. Constitution, George Washington brought together a military of militia and himself at the head was like, all right, well, I'm the commander in chief of the armed forces as the president, and therefore I need to lead them into battle. And he only symbolically led them for you know a few miles before he gave the command over to Alexander Hamilton. But even as president, he's still reverting back to like military leadership and rule, which is kind of cool. Again, it was his popularity, his leadership that was able to even raise that army and do what he needed to do and all that other yeah. things there. All right, so, so let's run yeah. through some of the other ones that are like less well, known. Well, yeah. Well, if you want to go number two, John Adams, he did he he did not serve in the military. So again, no, no, you, no, you no. got you get the opposites. Um, Thomas Jefferson did, right? He yep. was a um, colonel regiment in the Virginia militia, so he had um, some experience, not much. He took command of the, uh, like we said before, the uh, the militia, and um, he and then he later built his Monticello home, actually, where his uh, where he served in the military. That's cool. I didn't know that. Um, you have Madison Monroe. Both um, served again, as you mentioned. This this stems from the fact that a lot of these people were involved by sheer coincidence, yeah. uh, due to the fact that we have a revolutionary war happening. And well, again, that's what they did. Them. I mean, that's what that's what you did at that time. If you were, if you were a gentleman, these, you know, gentleman, of, yeah, you served. You yeah. served in the military. And Madison was actually interesting because he was in poor health during that time. He was a commander in the Orange County Regiment in Virginia, but he actually never actually saw active military service because he was so sick during that time. Yeah. Meanwhile, Monroe, who's Madison's like protege, um, he did serve. What do you, I mean, uh, he saw uh, 1775 in, to 1778. He was army. He was known yeah. for actually fighting. Like he was wounded on the battlefield. Yeah, I'm actually in the Battle of Trenton, that famous um, Washington Christmas crossing. Eve yeah, crossing yeah, the he, Delaware. He actually he actually got um, was injured there, and he he was known for being very brave on the battlefield. From what I've and I saw about him. He winds up um, resigning from active duty in 1778 to go study law under Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. I think like if you skip a little bit and, and then next one, the next president that actually did have a military career and very much so in, in the same vein as George Washington rode this military career to the White House uh, is kind of a controversial figure by today's standards. But that's Andrew Jackson. Yes. And he fought essentially in two wars, uh, old, War of 1812 and the Indian Wars. Yeah. Um, old Hickory, Old Hickory. Old Hickory, that's right. His desire to fight really started in the Revolutionary War. He was only 13 years old, and he was already a messenger for a militia unit in the Revolutionary War as a little kid. Uh, he was captured at one point, and he refused to shine the boots of a British officer. So the British officer actually used this saber to like Nick Jackson's face a little face, bit and gave yeah. him a scar. And then from that point forward, he was just like, I, he hated the British. It was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm good. If I ever get a chance to kill British people, I will. And obviously he was a little kid. So the war ended. He never really had a chance, but there is a part two of this war, which we also did a podcast on. And that's the war of 1812. And that's really when he kind of gets his revenge. So he's a general at this point. 
and his most famous military success is at the Battle of New Orleans during yes. the War of 1812. Well, the war was over, but yeah, that's a whole, yeah, 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 other, yeah, that's that's a whole other podcast. A whole he never got thing. the memo. He go go, the go memo. back there. Yeah, but, but it made him very popular. He became this like this common man hero, which again- Well, because he killed, I mean, they said he yeah. held off 11,000 British troops trying to take over uh, New Orleans. His force only had like less than half of that. It was like 4,700 men. And basically, he just repelled the British attacks and killed thousands of them in like minutes, really. Well, I would say about a half hour. And this was the first real victory against a British force. Although, as you mentioned, the battle takes place after the war ends. But no one, literally, the memo just didn't get through to the front lines that this was over. But uh, he became... um, Wasn't any tweets back then? Yeah, right. He became super famous for this. This This made the general be the general. And then he's after that, he's really put in command of American forces to try to settle a lot of Native American disputes, mostly Native American disputes with white American settlers, particularly in the Georgia-Florida line. We're talking about the Seminole um, Native Americans. And, you know, he's sent into Florida to try to somehow squash this Native American rebellion. Meanwhile, he winds up taking over Florida, which further gains more popularity for the guy that he's expanding American frontiers but still, even at the time, controversial of, of how, how violent he was in, in suppressing Native American uprisings. Yeah, he really, and yeah, but didn't he also like adopt? I know we think, I think we did a podcast. On yeah, that. yeah, he, he did. We did have, yeah, he, he did wind up adopting Native American. Adopting Native American. Yeah. He's very, like you said, controversial and went, went different. Like, I don't know. He's just, he's just a complicated fella. The next guy, I think, is also uh, actually the same wars, War of 1812 and, and yeah. Indian Wars. Uh, and this guy became. A little less known, I would say, in American history, but still became president and basically made a name for himself during the same time as Andrew Jackson, just to a lesser extent. Like Andrew Jackson was, you know, Andrew Jackson. And that is William Henry Harrison. William um, Henry Harrison was the commander of American forces at Tippecanoe, which is kind that's of became right, a slogan right. that, that brings him to the White House. Um, right, Harrison and Tippecanoe. Um there was how did it go? Tippecanoe and Harrison too, or something. Like Tippecanoe that. and Tyler too. Tyler too. Oh, because right. yeah, because he was the it's, it's Tyler becomes vice. his vice president. Later becomes president also. Yeah. Uh, but Harrison did win um, gold medals for his victories in the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, no, no, he was so like he a was, legit. He was, he was, legit yeah, he was the command army of, of the Northwest, so he was like legit. And again, he's this is the ninth president, and you're seeing this. These early presidents are all really, with the exception of Madison, right? Um, Adams, I mean, are all pretty much these. Um, war heroes for, for the yeah. most part and this one is also controversial william henry harrison so his biggest nemesis was tecumseh and tecumseh and his brother the prophet uh native americans began using these visions and magic and they incited a lot of native americans in the indiana territory against american settlers um stating these ideas that you know there were certain protective magic that would protect natives against american forces in 1810, so before the War of 1812, Tecumseh actually winds up meeting Harrison, who's at the time the governor of Indiana Territory. And he meets him with about 400 warriors and demands um, a treaty, a recession really of, an, on a, of a former treaty that granted lands to whites. And Harrison refuses this. So Tecumseh orders his warriors to kill Harrison. But Harrison winds up like drawing his sword, stopping his own murder. At that point, they kind of know each other already. So Tecumseh and Harrison don't like each other going forward. Then the war comes two years later when Tecumseh's forces and Native American forces ally themselves with the British. And Harrison has an excuse that he's fighting the British. But really, this is his way of trying to settle some old scores with Tecumseh. Ulterior motives over there. 
Yep, and they basically the biggest known battle happens at Tippecanoe, which becomes Harrison's nickname. They call him Tippecanoe from that point forward, and that's where you had the Native Americans um, and their, you know, like magic that was supposed to protect them doesn't really protect them because Harrison winds up defeating the British and getting his vengeance against Tecumseh during this battle, which basically leads to Tecumseh's death, and Americans wind up like burning the local settlement that was built by Tecumseh. Well, yeah, uh, he doesn't become president for too long. Obviously, the, he rides this all the way to the White House, and then Harrison delivers the longest inaugural speech in American history without a coat on a cold, wet day. Um, this results the in the shortest, shortest yeah. presidency. He, that's, that's more or less his footnote. In his, well, I guess he has some more, but that's what most people probably know him for. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's hit up next guy that's kind of legit here that did some stuff. Um, well, yeah, well, we said we, Taylor was there. I guess we, I mean, we're not going to go through every single one. I mean, no, Taylor just go some of the yeah. Black Hawk War, the Second Seminole War. Polk was there. He he's Tennessee fought a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. He I don't think they said he didn't see any active um service, right? Nope. No, his his military prowess comes from the fact that he brought the United States into war with Mexico, but that was after he's already yeah, president. Yeah. Taylor, um, yeah, exactly, though, exactly. Discount. Taylor did a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Taylor did a little bit. Well, he aspired to be a military. Um, he always wanted to be in the career. Like yeah. in the military, that was kind of what he wanted to do. And he did serve for a while. And he, when he was young, that's what he wanted to do. He served in the army from 1808 to 1849, climbed the ranks during the War of 1812, fought in the Black Hawk War, the Second Seminole War. And during the Mexican-American War, he became Major General. Yeah, and old and rough and ready. And so that's kind of like that success made him a national hero and then ushered him into becoming the president right after that. Popularity yeah. of, of the war is what allowed him to become president. Yeah, and it's interesting too because this you start you see some like juggling here for power, uh, and the, Polk is basically trying to suppress Taylor's popularity. Yeah. Same premise, right? Taylor cuts his teeth fighting the Comstock during the War of eighteen twelve. Um, he actually holds Fort Harrison with twenty men against six hundred, and there's this battle cry that Taylor never surrenders. When the War of Mexico breaks out, he is the general um, known as the old rough and ready. I lost only 37 men against an army that vastly had numbers his own. And in Monterey, right, he captured the entire city of Monterey in about four days. And it was considered the biggest victory up to this point. They said to compare this to like greatest American victory ever, like even New Orleans, except this was during the Mexican-American War. Um, and then that just when he was becoming super popular, President Polk deliberately takes troops away from Taylor and gives them to General Winfield Scott to capture Veracruz. Because he's trying to check Taylor's growing popularity, right? The idea is that, like, if Taylor has a weakened army, then he will start losing. Because he kept on winning every battle he could in the Mexican-American War. And Polk did not want him to become president. But it doesn't matter because by then he was so famous that um, he, he couldn't was stop elected. it. Yeah. yeah, he was elected as the Whig Party candidate, despite the fact that the Democrat Polk tried his best to suppress him. All right. Franklin Pierce. All right, I got to do this one. This one, this one really got me. Okay, good. Well, yeah, he, I'll go. Right? He's 14th president. He served in the Mexican-American War. Um, he entered actually as a private. He was and then uh, started actually. He also recruited people for uh, the New Hampshire militia. Um, became a brigadier general, leading victories in Mexico City. And, um, but the big thing with him was he actually suffered an injury after being thrown from his horse. Okay, yeah, Franklin some, Pierce. I'm telling you, man, this is funny. missed some Julie. of the battles. Yeah, I saw yeah. some of the stuff. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so they said he like was really into. It. He like really wanted to um, to fight and. They couldn't wait. Was, oh, they, they couldn't get to prove himself in the battlefield. Exactly. And 
President Polk actually gave Franklin Pierce the nomination as an attorney general, and Pierce winds up turning it down because he just wants to fight. He's like, oh, I don't want to sit behind the desk. Basically, that granted him a lot of respect, but the first part of his military career was not really similar to his counterpart, Zachary Taylor. Uh, so he volunteers to join the army as soon as the war with Mexico breaks out. It's 1846. So once the regiments are authorized by Congress, he's appointed the cur- he's appointed colonel and is sent to Veracruz. When he arrives in Mexico City, he's promoted to Brigadier General and is linked up with General Winfield Scott at the Battle of Contreras. So things are going really well, except as the battle starts, his horse gets spooked, and it causes um, his saddle to jam right into Pierce's groin. Pierce winds up like screaming. The horse then fell into a crevice, pinned Pierce under it, and then they're like, battle's happening. They need someone to command. But because Pierce is hurting from his private parts and is pinned by a horse, someone else takes command and gets the glory for that battle because Pierce is laying in a ditch. The next day, he's back on the battlefield, but he winds up injuring his knee so bad that he can't really gallop so quickly with them and catch up with everybody else. So he falls behind his men. And the battle was actually over by the time he catches up to them. So at this point, you know, Pierce, is just, it's just not working out for him. So General Scott is actually like, I'm not going to give this guy command of this brigade. Like, yeah. it's not going to work. Um, just bad luck. Yeah. So he's like, fine. You know what? I'm just going to let's try this out. So he's like, all right, I'm giving you command again. This is the next uh, battle. Trubusco, I think Trubusco is the name of the battle. Yes. And, um, you know, Pierce is like, all right, I'm doing this. And literally within the first few minutes, his leg starts hurting him so much, his wounded leg, that as he's trying to charge into battle, he actually passes out on his horse in the middle of the battle and falls off of it and never really fights. And that is President Franklin Pierce. Um, yeah, but it did become. But it career. did. He, but it did become president. Like it didn't well, yeah, hurt him did. politically, obviously. No, so no. that stuff comes out, or whatever. But it just didn't. You know crazy though it didn't, didn't, it didn't affect yeah it's one of those stories that like it just wasn't meant to be like sometimes yeah. it's just not meant to be and uh franklin pierce you know his war hero-ness i guess you want to call it was not meant to be yeah so. i mean there's a lot of these are like just little ones but i mean president abe lincoln did fight right i mean yeah briefly yeah briefly same thing same thing with buchanan like right before him like, there was yeah. a little bit lincoln yeah he, he served in the militia during the um 1832 during the black hawk war Yep, Native American so, so, uprisings. So that. Um, Andrew Johnson was the military governor for Tennessee. Yep. And served as the Brigadier General until 1865. But I guess the next big one, obviously, That actually Grant. served, yeah, yeah. That served, fought, did everything, was obviously, was Grant. So I guess yep. we, I mean, we've done podcasts on Grant in the past. I thought one interesting thing about um, Grant, he didn't plan to make a career of military service, right? He fought in the Mexican-American War, which is what you see with a lot of, like, the generals, um, in the Civil War, they all fought in the Mexican-American War. In 1864, Lincoln appoints him as the general-in-chief, a little bit different. And he comes up with the, with the strategy really to direct Sherman's army across the south while he worked to defeat Lee's army in the north and eventually led over the, you know, the beat the Confederacy. He gets the surrender at Appomattox Courthouse um, where he really like stipulated the terms and you know avoided the uh, treason trials and stuff, you know, stuff, uh, things of that nature. But I thought one interesting thing about... Um, Grant that I found, and I don't think we talked about that much in the podcast, was that he um, really hated military tradition, particularly uniforms. And he always used to get like the merits for at West Point for his uniform being up Kent. And then like later on when he was the general of the Union Army, he refused to wear a general's uniform. He just wore a private's uniform. 
He just had like a single star stitched on each shoulder that indicated his rank. He had like no interest in that sort of stuff. You know, next time I get in trouble for uh, dress code or wearing wearing a sweatshirt in school, I'm yeah. going to say, you know, Ulysses S. Grant. This, yeah, yeah, try that. <laughs> yeah, see how far I got. Hey, you're the administrator. You know, you'll probably get me in trouble if I wear a uh, sweatshirt. We don't really, yeah, people wear what they want. <laughs> I think that's you know, that's least the of thing. our concern. That's the thing, though, right? Like when we started teaching, it was always tie. Shirt tie, shirt tie, shirt tie for guys. You know, women were always like dresses and. Well, that was they, part of the op- that was part of the observation. Yeah, like that no longer is part of the observation, right? Like grooming. No, no. Yeah. So things. I guess if you were, I guess if you were like a rip Metallica shirt, maybe you'll get. In trouble, well, yeah, right? I'm not gonna teach for, with a rip Metallica. I mean, maybe I wear like a Star Wars T-shirt. <laughs> uh, we try our best, but I could always bring it up and be like, "You, this is just great." You know, um, he was against this stuff. Um, there you go. Why not? <laughs> why not? All right, another guy that uh, kind of became famous because of his civil war record was Rutherford B. Hayes. Um, I did not know until I started really doing this research that he was like pretty legit when he came. Yeah. He he was a major general. Yeah. Yeah. He was a major general. He was elected to Congress first and then obviously became president after that. But yeah, he, he was a war hero. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Active war record. Basically before he became president, he was a union officer during the civil war. Um, I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. When in September of 1862, Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia was advancing toward uh, northward to, into Maryland, the Union Army under General McClellan met Robert E. Lee's divided Confederates in a series of three major battles. At the head of each of these battles and the lead regiment was Lieutenant Colonel Rutherford B. Hayes um, of the 23rd Ohio Um he wound up charging an entrenched Confederate position. A bullet tore through his arm, shattering his bone. They said that he basically tied a, a handkerchief um, around his wound yeah. and then rubbed a lot of dirt into it and just continued just fighting. Complete. Well, that's what he did during that. Like, that's, yeah. It was just, let's, let's just go. Like, what are you going to do? If you wait around, you're probably going to bleed out. So you have to do something. And but also, even like yeah. when I was looking into it, they're like, that normally civil war, you would lose an arm to such an injury. But for some reason, he did not get infected. Like he just kept on fighting and just disregarded it. I think a lot of these presidents too, especially when we get to some of the ones later on, um, they just survived. A lot of it was like luck. Yeah. Like you just think how different, like it was, it was, and I guess that's part of the battlefield too. Like, you know where to go and everything I'm sure. And you have the fighting, you have the experience, but a lot of it is just right place, right time, you know, or wrong yeah. place, wrong time. And then that's it. Or yeah. just, you know, or just like an inch this way versus an inch that way. I mean, he had a horse shot down shot from, from under him. him. Yeah, yep. that happens all the time. Battle of Kernstown. Um, then that same battle, he got shot in the other shoulder, right? He still survived that. Then at a battle, Cedar Creek in 1864, he was actually struck in the head by a round, like literally grazed his head and cut his head open. You know, and after that, he was promoted to Brigadier General. So this guy was pretty legit. Uh, he was elected to a presidency in 1876 and he never actually really won any major electoral popular vote this is known as oftentimes as the 1877 uh, compromise of 1877 that ended reconstruction and he's kind of vilified for that like you know he was pushed into office but at the same time i mean this guy was 
He was a war hero. Like he got his, yeah, you know, he, as badass. far as, as far as like he saw combat, he was injured in combat. So, and again, a bunch of other guys here that we could talk about. James Garfield um, was a lieutenant colonel in the union. Yeah, he was um, actually the youngest, uh, the youngest one ever to make major general. Yeah, so that's kind of like a little fun that's history. Fun fact. Yeah, um, Chester A. Arthur also served as a brigadier general during uh, served in uh, the, New York, New, the New York militia during the Civil War. Never actually saw combat. Because interesting, his family actually had ties with the Confederacy. Interesting. Yeah, he, he had some like you know members in his you know extended family were members of the Confederacy, so he never actually saw active combat really because of that reason. Benjamin Harrison also served. Uh, he followed in his grandfather's footsteps, served in the American um, Army during the Civil War. Um, he was uh, Brigadier General of the Volunteers. Mm-hmm. McKinley also served. He was a major. In 1865, he only resigned. He resigned from army as soon as the war ended. So you have these people who were there, but I guess the next big one, obviously, oh yeah, we'll kind of fast forward to. And it's obviously the big one. Is that would be probably what you say? Your hero, I feel like. I feel like. If, I mean, this guy he got awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his his actions in the Spanish American War. This yeah, guy. but he also got it that given to him in what 2001? Yeah, or like something? three years ago or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a while. It was, it was a little it took bit. Hundred you know. years. I mean, hey. we're talking about Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. Yes, so yes, he yes, was yes, a yes. political person, but you know, he did actually leave politics in 1898 to organize the Rough Riders, and he did that for political reasons. One, he wanted to fight, I think, also, but he, he did it for political reasons, and um, was a volunteer cavalry fighting force in the Spanish American War. Yeah, and, you know, he fought Cuba. He was awarded the Medal of Honor, which, like Pete talked about, but you know. After his death, way after his death. Well, yeah, he distinguished himself at the Battle of San Juan Hill. Um, yeah, everyone, so, people know that story, obviously. Yeah, but. yeah. He basically leads a charge as the only man on horseback because everyone else, the horses never made it there, even though they were a cavalry unit, the horses were not delivered in time. Uh, makes a charge up the hill, moves um, from position to position as his men advance up this hill behind him in open ground uh, against an entrenched enemy. Uh, when his horse is stopped by barbed wire, he winds up saying, forget the horse and just goes on foot the rest of the way they reach the hill hand-to-hand combat take over a gun shoot into a nearby hill and he is eventually awarded the medal of honor for his action um still the only president with a medal of honor only president received that award yes kind of cool all right what's uh well, Truman. Truman served I love in World Truman. War I. This was a cool story. I mean, Truman served in World War One. He was a colonel in the um, Army Reserve, so that's something that people I don't probably forget about Truman. I would I say I like right? Truman. Truman's a man. Is that he? Yeah, I thought I thought Roosevelt was your guy. Yeah, but so is Truman. I like I like a lot of these guys. Like I like Roosevelt for like the conservationist stuff and you know like national parks and the you know wilderness kind of thing. But Harry is Truman. I feel like is a guy that just. No one gave him a chance. His whole I think life. history looking back is is much more favorable on him than yeah. at the time. I think a yeah. lot of stuff for Truman. Um, so he, but he was denied entry to West Point because he had bad eyesight, mm-hmm. and then he actually enlisted in the Missouri National Guard because he memorized the eyesight test. Yep. Now, which is what I heard is actually something a lot of people did back then. I mean, he was memorized. way past the standard for legal blindness. That's how yeah. bad he is. <laughs> but, but then he remembers it, and then he give him a gun and go fight. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Just, like, that's just kind of like, why would you uh, – anyway. But yeah, um, he re- that's what he did. Uh, he actually recruited soldiers for his unit. He was promoted to uh, captain all right, of Battery D in France. And he later uh, achieved the rank of colonel in the Army Officer Reserve Corps. So he had a pretty successful – military career like one that you could definitely put on the resume definitely you know had its uh merits yeah he saw combat like he was in combat the battle yeah, and world war one fat in, in world war one yeah 
and that's so crazy because he becomes president in World War II in a, like weaning, you know, months of the of the war, yeah. and everyone's always like, "Well, he's not going to be as good as as FDR." But FDR, you know, he was obviously well, FDR did not see combat. Yeah, not see combat. But his but his dog was uh, his dog was promoted to private. <laughs> yeah, but Truman was he knew his stuff, you know, when it comes to war. Um, and they say that he was initially unpopular. He was a captain of the artillery company in World War One. And then at one point they were overrun by the Germans and his men started to break and run in every direction. And Truman just lost it. They said it was like string of profanity screaming at his men, like in their face. And they became so afraid of him that they actually stopped retreating um, and just faced the journal, the Germans and started to fight, which is kind of cool. In the start of Musargan offensive in 1918. So Truman observed German artillery setting up um, an attack unit in one of his areas of responsibility, but he noticed they had a lot of dogs and horses with them. So he actually waited for the Germans to move the horses and dogs out of the way before he dropped artillery on it because he was like a huge animal lover. Yes. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, all these, these, so many of these little stories out there that I guess just kind of are footnotes or like forgotten by history, but they're kind of, you know, interesting to bring up and just talk about you know just make try to make people aware of them that's all keep keep keep, keep the one going um i guess move on to the next one 34th yeah. president of the united states Go. is eisenhower obviously he was uh commissioned as a second lieutenant um after graduating from west point he served in world war one and world war two um obviously world war two he was the um the well, he was supreme, the, supreme Allied commander, yeah. five-star right? rank general, five-star rank army. Right in 1944, he was um, so also the first supreme Allied commander of NATO, which is something I've, we've been talking about trying to do a podcast on a while. Just like the history of NATO, North Atlantic yeah. Treaty Organization, we'll get to at some point. Um, and in 52, he retires from active duty. He runs for president. We know he runs for he wins president, wins the presidency, military industrial complex, all that information. But yeah, I mean. I think his military resume people just know about. Like so obviously I don't Yeah, yeah. But again, nothing like no like, you know, not like Truman fighting in the trenches as much, uh Dwight D. He well he was more of a, he was a commander. He was yeah, one yeah. like leading the troops and stuff like that. Um but one that I guess people do know that he served, but I guess some of the story is not always known is on the next one is Kennedy. Yeah, that's a cool story. Go ahead. So with Kennedy, he has this interesting story that I remember always bringing up to uh my students when we talked about him and stuff like that. Basically, he was a um, lieutenant in the Navy, and he was awarded the Purple Heart and the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, which was the highest non-combat decorator awarded for heroism for his acts during World War II. So basically, he was um, commander of a, of a torpedo boat, and it was ran by a Japanese destroyer and cut in half. And as it sank, Kennedy injured his back. He basically broke his back in several places. And with this injured back, he rescued several of the men and then led these survivors to a nearby island. He actually also saved a badly burned crew member. He placed him in a life jacket and then grabbed the life, grabbed the life jacket in his teeth and then basically dragged this crew member to shore for three miles. Yep. Uh, but and then Kenny always had this injury for this, and we've talked about in our Kenny's podcast that you know caused him a lot of pain. But that was really his main story, and that was also why you know we know his brother was killed in combat. His father like wanted his sons to serve in the military. He's like, oh no, they have to serve in the military. He's just going to help their political careers later on if you know they need to serve in this war. But Kenny was a war hero by all accounts. Like right, not right there. I'm surprised they never made a movie about that. Like just that 
part. I think they did. PT109. There's a movie. It's an old yeah, movie. But, it's like a TV yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah, but not like a modern day, like, yeah. you know, intense movie. Blockbuster, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he's a, one, of the, one of those figures and stuff like that, just showing that time. But again, it just shows, like, if that boat hit them a few uh, feet one way or the other, he could have been killed. He could have drowned trying to save this guy. You know, he broke his back. Like nuts. Some people stub their toe, they take off from work. This guy, you know, he breaks his bat and he's, yeah. you know, dragging burned people. You know, it's just, you know, that's what happens in combat, I'm I'm sure. But it's cool, an interesting though. story. Interesting story. Definitely pretty cool. Um, after him, when you start looking at some of the other ones, there it almost like their heroic deeds kind of lessen a little bit, right? I mean, Johnson well, was part of he was in the Navy, active duty as a lieutenant commander, right? Uh three days after Pearl Harbor. Uh, then he went into Naval Reserves from Texas and served in the Navy Reserves until 1964. Uh, Richard Nixon, this is interesting because he was a Quaker, so he would have been exempt from any service, but he still applied to the Naval Reserve and was an active duty in the South Pacific um, and the commander also of Naval Reserves until 1966. Uh, old, like That's only three years before he became yeah, president. Before he became president. He was there for a while. Yeah, he was there for a while. And another guy, I mean, it seems like all well, the next three, right? Because then you have Ford. Well, they're, all that, they're all that age, so obviously they're all served in World War II. Like, but they all joined the Navy. So Ford joined the Navy. Joined right same, after Pearl Harbor attack, yeah. Yeah, same premise as the other two. Then stayed in the Navy Reserves, and he's well, he was a lieutenant commander. Jimmy Carter... We got a Jimmy Carter, man. Have we ever done a podcast on Jimmy Carter? No, but we've talked about him with different things. Well, remember, he was Carter was a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He is a smart guy. I forgot he's still alive. Yes. Um, right, he's the oldest living president, obviously. Uh, but he was actually served as a nuclear powered sub- submarine until 1953. Like that's what this guy did. So he was a lieutenant in the Navy. Obviously, served in World War II. Um, but he was a nuclear engineer, basically, on these submarines. <laughs> like, yeah, nuclear that, submarines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one reason why he was present when he visited Three Mile Island. They were saying, like, he was talking to the engineers at Three Mile Island, like, that nuclear um, issue that happened. He was, like, no, knew what he was talking about. And they were like, how do you know? They must have debriefed. He's like, no, no, I worked on these. And, you know, I, I, it's very Back similar. Back in 53. Uh, what, I saw, what I saw on the subs in 53, they're like, what? Like, so he was like, you know, he, he knows his stuff. Um, that thing, yeah, but he was, you know, like I said, I mean, submarines too, like, is a totally different class if you're on a submarine. You ever been inside an actual submarine? Me? Uh, as like a tour thing once next to, yeah. um, what do you call it, the Intrepid. Yeah, there's that one. I still was one in New Jersey, USS Ling. It's still there. It got destroyed. I got like really destroyed when um, Hurricane Sandy, but it's still there. I remember my grandfather taking it to a diesel powered sub, obviously the ones next to the Intrepid, and then. On Hawaii, we went on like a little submarine too, not like a you know military submarine, but they're they're they're, they're tiny. Like I couldn't imagine being there for like months. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I'm I'm claustrophobic, so like put me in a car for too long and I start freaking out. Yeah, like it's just like you can't even stand. It's just like, but woo, no. Nah. Although one of the greatest World War II movies is uh, Das Boot. I don't know if you ever saw it, but that was a intense German movie about World War II. If anyone hasn't seen it. Watch it. Uh, President Ronald Reagan. Um, this is, I mean, he was an actor, right? So he was in the army from 42 well, to 45 during World War II, there. but he never left the United States. Well, he trained, he, he did uh, training videos, right? Yeah, he in did training videos. Films. He basically yeah. started in patriotic films and film training videos for soldiers overseas. And he served in the army and air corps, um, first motion picture unit. He was an actor through World War II. He's doing his duty, right? He's doing what he needs to do to help 
And yet his vice president, this is like probably the last but legit he, military guy. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Is uh, President George H.W. Bush, right? He enlisted as an aviator on his 18th birthday. He actually became one of the youngest aviators in naval history uh, because he was sent to the front lines like, shortly after that. And on a bombing run on the Japanese island of Chichijima, um, his plane was um, – well, they successfully bombed their target, right? He was a torpedo plane, I believe. But the plane was badly damaged and it plumbed into the ocean. And he's the only one that survived. Both of his crew members died. He actually parachuted out of the plane. He survived. He landed in the water, injured, but alive. And he floated there for, I think, like seven or eight hours. And the whole time, like, the Japanese were, like, trying to find him and shoot at him. So he's trying to hide from the Japanese, like, floating in the water. He's like a teenager. This is a crazy part. 18 years old. He was swallowing way too much salt water. He was getting constantly um, stung by jellyfish this entire time. Uh, and he winds up uh, – eventually he was rescued by an American submarine and he was awarded the Distinguished Flyers Cross Citation for his efforts. Um, his son does go on to serve in the Texas Air National Guard and later becomes president also. But like, this is like a legit – like, yeah, he was in a fighter pilot, like fought in the war, shot down in combat, survived. Like this is legit like war service. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And after which that, I, he enrolls I don't, in Yale. Yeah, yeah. But I don't remember hearing that much. I mean, I was just younger, I guess. But I don't remember hearing much about his World War II contributions Record. when he was running for president. As you much. would like think his, they would have played that up, right? I know. Like, 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 like you got, you know, you were bombed. You bombed a Japanese, you know, island. You know, survived being attacked by the Japanese. You know, you earned this flying cross. But a lot of them just didn't want to, I guess, bring it up as much, too. Yeah. And we'll talk about that because they – um He's the last one that actually they say saw like real combat. He's the last of these World War II era veterans also. Yep. And like I said, his son is actually, I think, the last one that that really was involved in the military. So Bush, um, George W. Bush, it was Air National, Texas Air National Guard. But during the Vietnam War year, so between 68 Mm -hmm. and 73, so not he wasn't in Vietnam, but during the Vietnam War, he served in the military he was active duty. Stateside. Active duty. Stateside. So, and he's the last one. After that, none of the presidents that followed. And and was, I, was, I wanted to see like why that was. And I was saying that was really because of the Vietnam War. And you had a lot of the presidents there. And it just, it just wasn't, it, they call it the bamboo ceiling. Like there, there has been people who have run for president who served in the Vietnam. Right? Well, yeah, you know, John, John McCain. John McCain, right? Al Gore, John Kerry. Okay. So there's plenty of ones that did, but they all just. They're saying that, you know, they, their service is not seen as like what it was early on. Like, you know, it's that these war heroes, it's not as big of a thing. And they're saying the future, when I say they, I'm talking about a lot of these political punches and stuff like that, that like they think that if, if, if a, someone who becomes president in the future, um, if they're like a global war on terror veteran, right, that it's kind of in spite of their time in uniform and they're not going to be insisted by it. You know, it's not, it doesn't assist people quite, quite as much. We yeah. talk about like, you know, I remember he, it was kind of a big thing during Bill Clinton's presidential campaign because he, there's these letters that came out in the 60s that he was opposed to the Vietnam War. So that's one reason. Yeah, like draft dodgers and all that stuff. I remember yeah, that was used well, against well, he him. Took, he, he said he took his chances with the draft. All right. So whatever, whatever you want to take of that, you know, whether he was a draft dodger or not, who knows. Uh, but you have, um, I'm not getting political here, but like uh, Trump, when he was running, he just was like, yeah, listen, I, uh, I found ways to get out of the draft. Yeah, you know, he was like, you know, proud of it. So you had that. Um, Obama outright said, you know, he was against the Vietnam War during that time. So yeah. a lot of these pres, they just said, you know, they were against it and it was against their beliefs. And- yeah, but Vietnam, how Obama's he wasn't old enough to to. No, but he was, but he was like. Uh, no, he wasn't old enough to partake. Well, no, no, no he wasn't worth partaking, but he was against it. Obviously, yeah. he was he was alive. And then, yeah, well, you know, yeah, yeah. And um, just talks about that. Same with Joe Biden got student uh, determinants. 
um, yeah. for the for the, for the war. Um, so you know, yeah, but yeah, the last oh, couple Biden, have not Biden's been. Biden's up there, so he could have been around in a couple of wars. Well, he was born in '42, but he had a student. He got a student determined during draft determined during the Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, during Vietnam. Hmm. Same thing with with Trump. They were able to get you know find ways to circumvent it. I guess would be the best way to interesting. say. Interesting. But like they're saying, you just have and you had war heroes that did, like we talked about, Kerry McCain. Who's actually criticized, right? If you yeah. remember that when he yeah, was yeah. running and stuff like that. That's a cool story. McCain's story, yeah. again, not to get political, we, I think we should probably do a, we should do like a podcast or something about just yeah, his legacy, known his Vietnam War veterans. You know what I mean? Anyway, I think this this pretty much covers it. These are your presidents, guys. Yeah, that, and the uh, ones uh, who didn't serve, in case you're wondering, was John Adams, right? John Quincy Adams, Martin Van Buren, Millard Fillmore, Grover Cleveland, Taft, Wilson. Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. Clinton, Obama, Trump, and Biden. So again, it's the modern ones that you really see. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a prerequisite to be uh, military service early on, but it was kind of like it was a it nice was kind uh, of required. It, yeah, it was, it was like a nice thing on your resume. Wasn't going to hurt. Yeah. Definitely. So that pretty much concludes our podcast on your fighting presidents. Um, if you guys ever want to contact us, you could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We're always here to answer any of your questions. Make sure you click that subscribe button and don't be afraid to leave us an air review. We do appreciate those. So thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.